Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 519, the wildest sports weekend ever. Welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank. I'm Eddie. Eddie, how's it going? Yeah, pretty well. I guess my voice might be a little bit croakier than usual, but aside from that, things are going pretty well. Is that because you just ruined your voice cheering for Argentina to win? No, although it was an emotional roller coaster of a weekend. The World Cup, the NFL, both delivered, you know, thrilling finishes, tons of drama. So. It was yeah. a, a weekend that could have made me lose my voice, but no, this is sickness-related rather than sports-related. I mean, it might have been one of the most exciting weekends in all of sport. I mean, the tough part is there was only two major sports that dominated the headlines, um, but you know, you did have basketball, but nothing too exciting there. But between the World Cup and the NFL, it was just crazy. I mean... Just insane games. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think arguably the, the greatest World Cup final of certainly of in the modern era and the biggest regular season NFL comeback of all time. You throw those two yeah. things in and, and that's within like a number of other big comebacks, a number of other yeah. NFL games that went down to the final play or at least the final two minutes. It was a pretty exciting weekend. Yeah, we can start with the World Cup, but just to back that up for the NFL, I saw 12 out of the 16 games were decided by one score, which ties the most ever for a weekend in NFL. And 15 out of the 16 games were decided by 11 points or fewer. So kind of like the closest you could get to two scores. Yeah, and then if you throw out the fact that the game's not decided by one score includes Thursday night football and Monday night football. So the Saturday, Sunday, that's virtually yeah. every game. That Saturday was amazing. I mean, that, that, that's what made it, I think, such a good weekend is you had a great slate of Saturday football and then kicked it off with the World Cup on Sunday and then just kept it going pretty much most of the Sunday for the NFL. So it was basically like 48 straight hours of competitive, thrilling sports. Yeah, no, pretty crazy. Although, yeah, I mean, I feel sorry for... Before we just move on, I mean, we'll discuss the game in greater detail, but I'm sure there were some Vikings fans that probably left early, so they may have missed out on some <laughs> excitement, but we, I guess we can talk about that in more detail a bit later. Yeah, so I guess let's let's start with the World Cup, and, you know, Ali and I had, had said off podcast, we discussed that the opener would be me stating this was the greatest World Cup final ever. And then your response. I think it might be, but only because I had to go back and look. And when you compare it, certainly of my life, well, our lifetimes, it is. But it's because most of the time, there haven't been that many thrilling World Cup finals. Like most of them have been won fairly comfortably. Uh, you know, in terms of the ones that I can remember, which is 98 onwards, pretty much for me, right? That I have sort of, functioning memory of really and i mean you have 2006 was a penalty shootout but 
it wasn't exa- exactly Zinedine Zidane red card aside. It wasn't exactly drama filled. So this one, I certainly, the, the extra time in this was outstanding. Like 80 minutes onwards, this was an incredible match of football. Up until about the 70th minute, it wasn't great. And I mean, it looked like it was just going to be a procession for the vast majority of the 90 minutes until that penalty going to change the momentum in the game a bit. Certainly in the first half, France were awful. So I think I kind of, we've discussed it on previous episodes, right? Sometimes you're, your view of a game can be heavily influenced by the like the drama towards the end of it. And this game was full of that. And so it makes it feel as if, what an incredible match. But for 60% of the match itself, it wasn't that great. I mean, I think where it gets bailed out, right, is that there was a full extra time and penalty shootout. If that doesn't happen, and let's just say it ends up 3-2 in just normal time, then I don't think it is because even though that last 20 would have been exciting, I think you're right in saying the first 70 minutes were pretty one-sided, pretty boring on on the whole. But the fact that you're given an extra 30 minutes of extra and then the penalty shootout in addition kind of makes that first 70 feel like just the not even the first half. So it makes it shortens that time of like the percentage of the overall match. So I, I, I agree. I mean, it is a shame that it took that long to just go off like that. But once it did, man, it was just crazy. I, like every every play was like back forth back. Like there was no break in the action. I mean, even when you think about the, the last save uh, of the of the extra time was unreal. I mean, you thought it was over there and he makes this great kick save to to put it in the penalty shootout like you rarely see something like that. And and like. I think nine times out of 10, that guy scores that, but somehow, you know, he stops it and just keeps it going. Like it just kept going. Nothing could stop that, the momentum of this, of that uh, final. So it was fun. It was, as someone who really didn't care who won. I mean, I was rooting for Argentina. I had some money on it, but you know, tied to like a 14 team parlay that I knew wouldn't win. So in the grand scheme of things, I think I'm just kind of rooting for something to root, to have a side. And it was just so fun to watch. Like it, it was, it was great. It was cool. I couldn't imagine being a supporter like a you know someone from Argentina, diehard, lifelong, like that must have been brutal to endure, thrilling at the end. But if you made it, maybe I'm sure there were. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were three or four people who legitimately had heart attacks during that match. <laughs> uh, not something we want to dwell on. But no, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was a real emotional roller coaster for Ar- if you're Argentinian or if you were French, for both of them. Uh, and yeah, I think you're right. The fact that it had the additional 30 minutes, which was action packed, uh, right up until the last kick. I mean, you're right. There's the Emiliano Martinez save, but then it go Argentina went right up the other end and had a pretty good chance to score themselves. So yeah, yeah, it was, look, I think it can probably be classified as the greatest world cup final of all time. There's a lot of people trying to then call it the greatest football match of all time that I'm not willing to accept. Like, I feel like I see several matches a season that from start to finish are better football matches than that. But how much emphasis, if you're, if you're making a ranking of the best football matches ever, how much of a percentage is based off of the stakes of the match? 
Yeah, you've got to definitely factor that in. But then, you know, we've seen thrilling Champions League finals and, you know, thrilling, you know, final matches of league seasons that, like, you know, you could argue, I mean, just in recent seasons, right, we've seen things like Manchester City last season in the Premier League and the turnaround that they had there to win the Premier League. You can go back and when they score the Aguero, the infamous Aguero goal that won against QPR that won them their first title, scoring twice in injury time. You know, they you could go to the Manchester United scoring twice in injury time against uh, Bayern Munich to complete the treble. Like there are a lot of matches that I think fundamentally are probably better football matches that also had high stakes involved. I mean, I guess you probably can't get higher stakes in the World Cup final, but certainly high stakes involved in them because yeah you can't compare hey i went to a preseason friendly once and it finished seven six and it was incredible like that i agree with you there you can't you can't kind of try and throw those those matches into the ring and say well they were phenomenal but yeah greatest world cup final of all time but i'm not going to say the greatest match because i was honestly i was i was pretty bored out of my skull for the first 80 minutes like it was just yeah <laughs> but you know i mean like genuinely people need to train put themselves into the position they were in there it was argentina played exceptionally well in the first half france were just off the pace and tactically were being exposed and then they made some adjustments and were better in the second half but if that penalty doesn't happen it finishes 2-0 to Argentina and no one's talking about what a thrilling match this is. So, yeah. And like, that's easy to do. I'm not saying like the, everything that happened after that is significant, but I think people have to factor that in when they start going greatest football match of all time. Yeah. And, and we can get into, you know, obviously we'll spend some time with Argentina, but I, I wanted to bring this up that I was thinking about this match, I think was one of the most, like win-win scenarios for Mbappe when all is said and done, because you, you look at this match before he kind of gets that penalty in the 80th minute, he was pretty quiet for the most part and was being oh. outdone by Messi. Right? No, he wasn't like, pretty, I, he, he wasn't pretty quiet. He was anonymous. Yeah. And, yeah. and if anything, and then, they were people, they were cutting to images of him. His body language was terrible. His facial yep. expressions were awful. Like, yeah, he needed that because otherwise there was yeah. going to be a lot of criticism leveled at him. Well, and I think, you know, and then you cut that to the match before against Morocco, which a team that they easily should have handled. He he had at most an average match. I mean, didn't score, had a few opportunities, but nothing great. And you, you go back another one to England where they pretty much shut him down for almost all the match. And if he doesn't get that penalty in the 80th and then makes another great play like a minute later to, to tie it up. But if he doesn't wake up in that 80th minute, this is a completely different story where now, even with this loss, a lot of the talking points out of this final are, wow, Mbappe is the next great star of, of international football. Look at how great three goals. He almost led his team back to one of the greatest comebacks of all time. But when you look back at those three matches, up to that 80th minute, it was a pretty average tournament for him, those those last three. No, 100%. 100%. And yeah, there would have been some questions asked about whether or not they were using him properly. And I'm sure he would have been either outspoken or spoken in the, you know, the kind of riddles he likes to use on Instagram and stuff, complaining about the French tactics. So 
that was, I also think in some respects for his legacy, he's almost helped by France losing, but him scoring the hat trick because it makes it seem more like he is this kind of one man team struggling to take France to ultimate glory, but kind of his teammates almost let him down, even though, you know, you're looking at a penalty, the first penalty, he didn't win it. So, you know, that, I mean, it's his flick on. He so was involved in the play, though. He's I'll, involved. I'll, but, yeah, okay. But, you know, he didn't win the penalty. Uh, and then, you know, the, the third penalty, the second penalty, or third penalty of the match, but second penalty for France, it's his shot. But, I mean, you got to question the, why a defender has his hands flapping away from his body like that. Like, there's not brilliant skill on Mbappe's part to win it. Um, but, yeah, it was, I think, in the long term, his legacy is is kind of helped by France falling short while he becomes only the second player in history to score a hat-trick in the World Cup final. Bad day for Jeff Hurst. You know, England had very few things to hold on to. One of them was having had the only player to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, so that's that's gone now. <laughs> I guess, and then going on the other side for Argentina, I mean, pretty much exactly what, you could have Messi could have hoped for, right? Yeah, Messi was extremely good. Um, tactically, they were spot on. I mean, they surprised a few people by playing Di Maria, and then I think the inclusion of Di Maria didn't. They did what England failed to do. England focused so heavily on stopping Mbappe, whereas Argentina did a very good job of exploiting the gap that forms in behind Mbappe because he doesn't track back and he doesn't defend and he doesn't help his fullback out. And so, whereas England did a very good job of kind of stifling France, Argentina in that first half went one step further. And then in addition to frustrating them, they were actually causing them massive problems by exploiting that space. And Di Maria was, you know, who's blown hot and cold over the course of his entire career and with Argentina, then now kind of cements himself as a, legend in Argentinian football through that performance. And then also he scored in the Copa America final against Brazil last year. So he, you know, and I think ultimately the game, Deschamps gets some credit for the two changes he made in the first half, which is a brave decision from a managerial standpoint to make first half substitutions that aren't related to injuries or as a result of a red card to make changes. Like you are throwing those players under the bus. Like, I don't think Giroud will ever play for France again, not because that's Deschamps substituting him and telling him he's not good enough, but, I mean, there's the we talked about, like, the emotional long-term impact for Kane of missing that penalty, getting substituted in the first half of a World Cup final for performance or tactical reasons is a real blow to your confidence. So for Dembele, he's young enough that you'd expect him to bounce back, although that might might be a while before he starts for France again. For Giroud, you have to imagine that's that's it for him. Just because, and what a sad way, as France's all-time leading goal scorer, I mean, Mbappe will definitely eclipse him over the course of his career, but as France's all-time leading goal scorer, to have that be the way you bow out from international football as being the earliest non-injury-related substitute in World Cup final history is, uh, is a little bit of a shame, I guess. But credit to Deschamps. He made those tactical changes, the extra pace that came from those helped France to get them kind of work their way back into the game. But ultimately I think it was Argentina starting to sit back a little bit more over the course of the second half that allowed France to establish them a kind of foothold in the match. 
So Deschamps gets some tactical credit, but I also think Argentina were feeling comfortable and then were content to, I think from maybe the 70th minute onwards, to think to themselves, we probably aren't going to concede too. So let's just drop back a bit and let's hold on to what we have. Whereas I think, looking back on it, obviously in the end they won, so there won't be too much regret. Had they lost that, I think they would have looked back and thought, we probably could have got a third goal when we were really on top and put the game totally out of reach. And instead, they put them, you know, 2-0 is a dangerous lead to have. They always say 2-1 is the most dangerous. Uh, so Well, you know, 2-1 was the most dangerous because in one minute it was 2-2. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and So that, 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 that holds true still. And it's an interesting one, right? Because you just see how legacies get altered by those little moments. You know, it's Messi who gives the ball away that allows France to then quickly counter and have that, create that chance for Mbappe to make it two all. And, you know, those little, the fact that he gets a chance to kind of redeem himself, both with the, the goal and extra time, and then ultimately taking a penalty in the penalty shootout, you know, those little tiny moments that if results go differently, you'd be more heavily scrutinized. But because Argentina win, no one thinks about Messi kind of cheaply giving the ball away at a moment in time when he really shouldn't have. Still, it's, I mean, again, it kind of also, in terms of talking of legacies, probably it certainly settles the Messi versus Ronaldo debate. And probably, I think it's difficult to argue that he's not the greatest player of all time. Because not only to add a World Cup to his CV, but a World Cup final in which he played well, scored two goals. And also, he becomes the first player in history to have scored a goal in the group stages, last 16, quarterfinal, semifinal, and final. Now, it's a little bit misleading because there is a player who scored a goal in every match previously in the World Cup, but that was when there weren't as many teams involved. So there wasn't a last 16 round. So, you know, as with anything, as, as leagues expand, the, the statistics and the records become a bit skewed. But still, I think it probably puts him at the top of the, the footballing pyramid. Yeah, and it also puts him on the top of the Instagram pyramid. I don't know if you saw, but he surpassed the most liked photo in Instagram history, beating the egg that was the holding the world record at 57 million likes. His photo of him holding up the trophy is now up to 64 million likes, which was more than, I forget what it was, more than like a majority of the countries that participated in the World Cup, including Argentina. <laughs> nice. Well, that's probably a more worthy photo than the egg. The I egg. don't know what that photo, but it was a um, photo purposely put on Instagram to get the most likes to set a world record. Okay, well, now that I have to think of a new one. But I also want to say this: Argentina. You know, you've had all of these countless images of Argentinians losing their minds, and you know, gathering outside of Messi's grandmother's home to sing to her, and just this passion and love for Messi, like. And there's a certain element of a of kind of redemptive story arc within that because Messi was disappointing for Argentina for so long in his career. But the Argentinian fan base themselves have done a very good PR spin here where they spent the vast majority of Messi's career openly disliking him because they felt as if here was this player. No, but it's true. Here was this player, no, who, delivered for, who, here was this player who delivered for Barcelona and then couldn't do it for Argentina. And, you know, you had Argentina. He... he 
received so much hate and vitriol from Argentinian supporters, you know, to the extent that he retired from international football briefly. So they've done a very good job during this World Cup and now post-World Cup victory to kind of brush all of that under the carpet and just like, let's focus on how much we love him now and not on the fact that we maybe underappreciated him, but also treated him pretty poorly for a significant portion of his career. That this, you know, just total passion and love that we have for him is really success related. And it's not just because we love the beautiful game and his incredible God-given talents. Oh, the other thing I have to uh, commend the Argentinian fans on is the just sheer numbers in the celebrations that they had. So there was the, the there's a really awesome, uh, like, um, shit, I can drone footage, drone, yeah, of uh, Buenos Aires downtown. And it's just people as far as the eye can see. It's It was insane. And then today they had the parade and there was people like swarms of people going down the freeways and the off ramps of the freeways that made it look like like legit like insect swarms. It, it was crazy. I mean, just millions of people coming out to celebrate is just it was, it's it's one of those things that looks like it's computer generated because it's just so unbelievable that that many people can be doing that one thing at the same time. No, for sure. I mean, it looks like the best party on earth right now. But, you know, that's, and that's, and, and it's, look, it's great for them. It's a country going through very hard times at the moment. So that's nice. And I have ultimate respect for their president, although and not for any political reasons, but the fact that he didn't turn up to the World Cup final because he thought he would be bad luck as a, a man as superstitious as I am. I have to say that's a politician after my own heart, even if I'm not this, not for political reasons, but the willingness. And look, that's the other, one of the other storylines coming out of it. I think Emmanuel Macron looked like he was just annoying him endlessly. And I quite like Macron for his politics in France, but his just why he was on the pitch, the number of times he kind of gave pep talks to French players, I mean, he grabbed Mbappe on multiple occasions to kind of console him, went into the locker room afterwards to give some, you know, huge speech about how proud they made so many millions of French people. Just give it a break. Like you're, you're a politician. Like this is not, you're not a leader of men in all circumstances. This is leave this to the, the athletes and the, and the coaches. Now let me uh, ramp up some of your, uh, criticism bones eddie how do we feel about martinez the keeper for argentina both with his antics during the shootout as well as his um controversial celebration with his trophy (laughs) so during the shootout uh i got no problem with it a little bit of an issue when he when he kicks the ball away that's that's okay. That's going that's stepping over the line. The talking, the going out to meet the the the, the penalty taker, talking to them, trying to get inside their heads, kind of prowling around your box. I've got no issue, and stati- research shows you that that has like a massive impact on the statistical likelihood of a player scoring a penalty. Estimates are between like it has a ten to twenty percent impact on like if a goalkeeper 
steps towards a player and says things and tries to kind of get into their head that can have a massive uh, impact on the outcome. So I've got no issues so, at all with with that. The kicking the so ball for away. you. So, so for you though, just going at that. I mean, looking at Luis, who didn't do any of that, you know, kind of just stayed in stayed in his net, kind of, you know, didn't really trash talk. So for you, that's more, well, that he should have just been doing that versus I respect that more that he's not. So given the way that penalty shootouts now are so, you know, like people are going in depth into them in terms of the statistical analysis of like where you should take your penalty and you know how sort of different factors influence success rates i think as a goalkeeper to not be doing it you're missing a trick like we we just know that it can put other players off and i mean it i guess it's notable it's we like you know it's something i like to say it is very outcome driven he kicks the ball away for chuameni chuameni did look as if he was sort of extra nervous and the delay probably doesn't help, and then Chuameni misses, it's easy to say, well, he missed because of all of those antics. Who knows? He might have missed anyway. But I think from Maurice's perspective, Maurice has, been kind of, Maurice has never been considered a good penalty saver, not for Spurs, not for France. He's now been in, I think it's two penalty shootouts with France. It might be three. He's yet to save a penalty in a penalty shootout. So that's not a great record. He, in France, is being criticized. He's kind of being one of the players who's being held up. They're saying, you're the reason we lost, which I think that's a bit extreme, given the fact that two out of the four French players who took penalties missed. Like, I don't know what you're expecting from the goalkeeper. Even if he'd saved one, they still would have lost. So, you know, like, I don't, I don't, I think it's a little bit hard to be too critical of him. But I do think from a goalkeeper's perspective, if you're not at least, and I'm not saying you need to say anything horrific to them, because I think that would also be overstepping the mark, but I've got nothing wrong with the goalkeeper kind of grabbing the ball, handing it to the attacker and maybe reminding them of the significance of the moment. I think that's fine. Yeah. What's, what's crazy too, is he doesn't get the yellow for the initial throwing the ball to the side. He actually got it on the next player because then he went to the player and was like standing in front and wouldn't give the ball up. And then he got a yellow for that. What would have been craziest if it kept going and he kept his antics up, whether the ref would have had the balls to give him another yellow, because then I don't know what the hell happens then. <laughs> well, then another another Argentinian player would have had to step, would have had to go into goal. I think that's the other reason. If you're Martinez, you know, I don't think they're going to send you off in a in a penalty shootout. Yeah. So, unless it had gone like eighteen penalties, you, you're saying to yourself, <laughs> like, if this is going to be max eight nine penalties, I can afford to get booked because I'm just going to get a couple of warnings afterwards. Like the, the referee is not going to risk, you know, the, being like the referee who almost decided the outcome of a penalty shootout by sending a goalkeeper off over the course of a shootout. Like, I don't think that would happen. But as for his uh, weird gesture with the trophy, I think that was a little bit uncalled for. You know, I think yeah. that's not a great thing to do when you know that the eyes of the world are on you. I think, you know, it's, I wouldn't put it this way. If that had been me winning the, the you know, goalkeeper of the tournament, and I know that my parents and everyone are watching, I don't think that's a gesture I'd want to be making, but <laughs> each to their own. Yeah. I, 
he kind of lost me at that one because everything leading up to it, I'm fine with. Like, I don't mind the trash talking. I don't mind that. Like, the dancing he was doing when he made the saves, like the shoulder dancing. I thought it was, it's like entertaining. Like, uh, okay, uh, like if that's what you need to get in your zone to kind of like entertain yourself and loosen yourself up and stay relaxed and kind of piss off the other team at the same time, fine. That's great. I don't care. Like, I don't, I don't do that, but I, I know people who do and I think it's funny. But then to just like, use the trophy as like a humping station no not necessary <laughs> well i don't think oh, it's a golden penis i think is what he was really using it as but <laughs> i also think i get the dancing and all again it's not really my thing but again I'm, I'm also not a goalkeeper but i can understand that the the talking or the celebrations afterwards as a goalkeeper where in a penalty shootout it can be easy to be seen almost as like a passenger you know you're just sort of guessing which way to go and a lot of times you're not getting anywhere near to it. I can understand that those kind of actions make you feel as if you're a bit more in control. It can give the impression to the opposition that you're more in control, but also just for yourself to kind of building up your own confidence of kind of like, I'm in this penalty shootout, but I can decide the outcome versus you then see the timid approach of Loris, where it then feels more of, I'm in this penalty shootout. If the opponents make mistakes, they will lose. Like, I think you're kind of switching the equation uh, as a goalkeeper. So I respect all of that, but yeah, I, the celebration he could have, he could have done without, but, and then, but and now he gets to take that trophy back to Aston Villa first ever Aston Villa player <laughs> to play in a world cup final. And now he's going back with a world cup winner's medal and go, you know, the keeper of the tournament. Yeah. I, I love that there the, was a lot of, a lot of league two talk. <laughs> Those, those, uh, those awards, I didn't really take, I didn't really have an issue with any of them, but there did seem to be a heavy bias to players who were in the stadium. The fact that everyone who won the awards was either on the French or, or Argentinian team. Like, I think Emilio Martinez, like you can make a strong argument for him for goalkeeper of the tournament. I think maybe the Croatian goalkeeper probably should have edged it. I think young player of the tournament, there were maybe slightly better candidates. Obviously, player of the tournament was always going to go to Messi, and, and top goal scorer is not a something you vote on. So, But it did seem a little bit, uh, it was convenient, I guess, for everyone to be there to accept their award. Uh, so that's it. And then also, just to be more critical, A. Macron up there on that podium just with couldn't even smile. I mean, it was like he was pretending to be the upset French person. Like, couldn't be any, couldn't be even remotely gracious in defeat. Then you had Infantino, who tried to make himself the center of the, the proceedings in terms of how he interacted. And then you had the Emir. I mean, the, the final moments, I'm fine, I guess, with them putting the, I think it's called a bish or something, the, whatever the little yeah. cloak thing they put on him. I get it. It's symbolic of being a victorious war, warrior in Arabic culture. It's kind of a somewhat nice gesture. If you took this away from all of the other uh, controversies surrounding Qatar, I think people would have thought that was kind of nice. But given the overall discussion about the moral and ethical involvement and out, sort of management of the World Cup, it probably would have been smarter to not do that. But uh, the fact Did you that see it goes were... against the FIFA's policy for celebratory attire 
That doesn't surprise me. I think yes, a lot they, of stuff went against FIFA's policies. But the fact that the two of them, I mean, they hand the trophy to Messi and then they just keep walking with him for several steps. It was as if for a second I thought that they were going to just lift the trophy amongst the Argentinian players as well. Like they wanted to be so involved in all of those celebrations. It was uncomfortable to watch. So, you know, that wasn't, and then you had, obviously there's been the, the fallout with like Salt Bay on the, on the pitch and the criticism he's received for grabbing Messi multiple times and manhandling the trophy just overall it's, the celebrations and also the ceremony took way too long to start. It was hanging around for forever for reasons I don't know. Uh, but it seems like, and this isn't a criticism of the Super Bowl, but it did feel a little bit like they saw the way the Super Bowl trophy gets handed out and, you know, like Roger Goodell being kind of at the center of everything. And you could kind of see like Infantino seen all of that and thought, why don't I get to be like master <laughs> of ceremonies? <laughs> when we, at the World Cup, like that's an even bigger deal than, this, than the than the Super Bowl. Why does Roger Goodell get to do all that, and and that he, I'm a kind of you know forgotten figure when the World Cup ends? Hopefully, future World Cups they tone all of that down a little bit. Yeah, I saw there was a comment about the the Messi incident. Someone said, uh, "What? How's FIFA going to react at the next World Cup when?" when he gets put up with a denim jacket with a bald eagle on the back. <laughs> or, hey, maybe Trump will be president. Maybe he'll sling a MAGA hat onto him as he hands him the trophy. <laughs> Tro- trophy. 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 <laughs> it's a MAGA trophy. <laughs> yeah. But now it's... Uh... Yeah, I think that... It, I can understand where the gesture came from. But it was also just uncomfortable. It didn't look like Messi really wanted to put on. He took it off kind of at the first possible opportunity. I'm sure Adidas weren't delighted because it's then a huge moment for them, right, as a sponsor of of Argentina. And you have that covering the Adidas logo as as Messi's lifting the trophy for the first time in his career. So I'm sure Adidas have probably sent a few angry messages to FIFA of like, next time, please don't do that. Uh, but yeah, it's... Uh, Overall, an enjoyable World Cup. I will be interested to see over the coming days and weeks now that journalists are not in Qatar and maybe not, not at fear of being detained or anything else to see how more much how more openly they speak about the non-sporting elements of the tournament. Uh, but yeah, it was an enjoyable World Cup. And in the end, one of the best teams won it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think... Uh... Another little story to wrap it up was there was a better who had a $26, uh, I think, seven-leg parlay of basically all the major championships, mostly American championships, winners, and with the final one being France to win the World Cup. Uh, and it was $26 to win 560000 And the day before, I think, the World Cup final, they took the cash out offer of 283,000. So smart move by them. Um, I think you could maybe argue if you wanted to get ballsy, the smarter move would have been in the semifinals to think who realistically can beat France and looking at the four probably would have been Argentina and probably could have hedged it a little better because they were probably still two to one to win then by in the semis. Um, no, it was a weird Argentina were, were like even money 
going into okay. the semifinals. So. Then maybe not. Then maybe it was still the right move. Now, to, that to same guy, right, he could have hedged it a bit more. Sometimes when we talk about people hedging, like you don't have the financial capabilities of hedging. Obviously, this guy plays a $26 bet soon, not someone you're ex- associating with like huge bets. But I know because I saw him interviewed going into the tournament, he had already won quite a lot because he'd done a different version of the bet that didn't have France in the World Cup. So he'd already nice. won part of the bet sort of at the beginning of the summer. He hadn't done some of the things that had dragged on a little bit. So not the huge, huge, huge win that he was kind of waiting for, but he'd won tens of thousands of dollars already. So he was maybe in a position to hedge it a bit, but ultimately he made the right decision. Although like you would have feel you would have you would have been feeling so happy at in the, like the 79th minute. <laughs> and then I mean, you would have been almost as nervous as anyone else watching that penalty shootout, just hoping yeah. for Argentina to win. Yeah. But yeah, I guess for all of our non-football uh, listening fans out there, that brings the end to a month in which football has dominated our conversations. So I get a little bit of a break. I guess focus now shifts to the NFL, really. Until Not the much. NFL. <laughs> Well, well, no, but we I won't. Mean, all the domestic leagues start back up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. Aside from the Bundesliga, which gets a really long break. But yeah, it's true. But we won't discuss them in as much detail right until later in the season. So our focus certainly really shifts to the NFL for the next, what, six, seven weeks until until that's all finished. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we we mentioned it in the beginning. It was just a, another wild week of the NFL where, you know, it's the, the parody right now in the NFL. And I don't even know if it's parody and necessarily just teams just on certain weeks refusing to play good football. You know, I, I don't know if it's genuine or not, um, but the. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, we talked about it off podcast, and I'm very excited to see Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, make a backdoor sneak into the playoffs. But that, if you even a team like that, you know, you look at them or the Detroit Lions, they were what one in six, and now have won six straight, seven. You know, like it, it's crazy the just how much momentum teams are getting from like a week to week basis almost. Yeah. No, I think I think that's a combination of some parity and overall just the quality in the league has improved over the last few seasons. And there's just also more talented quarterbacks than maybe there were sort of 10, 15 years ago. And so you don't have as huge of a drop-off in the sort of bottom 10, 12 teams in the league. But then I also think there's a lack of dominant teams which I mean, I guess is a bit weird to say in a season in which the Eagles have only lost once, but you know, there's, it just doesn't feel like in seasons past, it felt like you really knew, okay, this team, if they really need to win would absolutely, you know, like you can even see like the chiefs getting a scare against the Texans. That didn't feel like something that would have happened with the chiefs teams of, you know, a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, or even like the Texans in general. That's back-to-back weeks now that they've almost pulled a major upset you know, on the Cowboys the week before and then on the Chiefs this week. So even a team that's got one win is hanging on to the bitter end, killing every you know spread that there is. 
No, for sure. Yeah. And it's good. It, it certainly leads to more excitement uh, and some, some way better games. And yeah, you're seeing more and more games. You know, each week you're guaranteed to have a handful of games that are decided in the final couple of minutes. And that's much more interesting than watching 20-point blowouts where entering the fourth quarter. I also think the difference is too now, even like a team up by 20 entering the fourth quarter, you're like, well, it might not be over. You know, if, yeah. if, if it's cut to you know, 13 within a couple minutes. And then, you know, if they, it's a three and out all of a sudden with the speed at which teams in the NFL can score. Now you're starting to think like, Oh, who knows? Like, I don't know what lead becomes insurmountable. I guess after this weekend, we know it's not 33 points, (laughs) Uh, which here's the other question. How does this impact Matt Ryan's legacy in that he now holds (laughs) the greatest, Collapse in NFL regular season history and the greatest collapse in NFL Super Bowl history. You know, like that's two terrible games to have on his resume. Yeah, not not a great look. Uh, and especially I mean, especially that, for a player who had the nickname Matty Ice for so long yeah. in his career. It's now Matty Iced. <laughs> yeah, because he just goes cold. Just yeah, just got to put one more letter there. What's I mean, what's great about that Saturday Vikings game was I think if that's just a normal Sunday game that's on national TV, you are definitely turning that off to watch whatever the other channel has or Red Zone or, you know, like other sporting event. But because it was a Saturday and there was literally nothing else on, I mean, maybe this maybe this wasn't the case, but for for our house. We just kept it on. There was literally nothing else to put on. It was like a weird time on a Saturday. We happened to be home. Just kept it on, doing housework, putting up Christmas lights, things like that. And then occasionally coming back, oh, wait, they scored. Oh, wait, they scored again. And then by the third score, you're like, all right, you know, let's just stop what we're doing. Let's start watching again. You know, you know, like I think so many people would have missed out. But because it was the only game on on a Saturday, everyone kind of just had half an eye on it at least. So it was – it was crazy. And what's crazier to think about is they're down 33 nothing, and then they start the second half with a three and out on a negative eight-yard drive, and then they come back. Like, that's even crazier that they didn't even start off with, like, a touchdown and be like, all right, guys, we scored the opening drive in the second half. We're back in this. Like, the, the first drive was awful. And then even crazier was we talked about it off air as well. They had that terrible non-fumble touchdown call. In an NFL now where every play is allowed to play out, even on times when you're like, why are they playing that out? You like Everyone in the stadium saw that that was an incomplete pass. Why are they still doing this? On a fumble that the guy wasn't even close to being down. He lost it standing completely straight, still running. And they pick it up and they blew it off on a, on a like, nullified the touchdown. That was crazy to me that that happened. I think that's one of the areas where there needs to be more clarity because I think you then saw the reverse of that, right? Which like the forward progress rule, for example, needs to be sorted out. So last night in the Packers game where I think most people would have expected forward progress to have been called in that Aaron Jones eventual fumble, inconsequential as it had no impact on the outcome of the game in the end. But it does seem one of those weird things where you just get like, we're just at the whim of the officials as to when they blow their whistle or when they deem forward progress. And I think there needs to be in each of those instances, yes, like it's impossible to have a hard and fast rule, a totally hard and fast rule because 
the game just doesn't work that way. But there needs to be something a little bit clearer in terms of like even to make it don't blow your whistle and have it be challengeable. Like have forward progress somehow be challengeable. Like is there a moment in time where a player stops moving forward? Is there a certain period of time in which there's no progress made where like, you know, like and then as an official you go, okay, I don't need to blow my whistle here. We can let this go. I know some of it too will be trying to prevent injuries at times, but they don't seem too concerned with that. But yeah, no, an incredible comeback though in that Vikings game. And I do agree with you. I mean, I'm sure if you're an NFL executive, you're sitting there thinking, man, why don't we do this every week? Because it does increase the attention that well, all college football do. is the reason. <laughs> I know, but well, yeah, but you could argue play a game on a Tuesday. You know, like there's there are solutions to this. Like the other, you know, the flip side to that is maybe we would it would be oversaturation. Like it's nice in these small moments of like, okay, I'll watch football Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. If that was every week, you'd have to start making decisions. It's like like my life cannot be taken over by the NFL. But yeah, I do agree with you. A lot of these games got more attention because like all of those Saturday games, you get hyper-focus because they're the only thing going on at that moment in time. Yeah, and a little bit... I think it were it was really good games for that Saturday too. Also helped it out. Uh, you know the that Bills Dolphins game. That's a great matchup just in general. And you look forward to next week where you think, oh, can we repeat that magic? You know, and have two great days. And you look at the Sunday, which is obviously Christmas Day. So there's only three games on that day. So that would be like this last week Saturday kind of. And it's Packers Dolphins, Broncos Rams. <laughs> Bucks Cardinals. Like those do not sound exciting. I was excited they, for the Saturday football, but not so excited for those three games. No, but at least there's playoff implications in two of those. Yeah, but at what cost, Eddie? To see Trace McSorley against the Buccaneers. <laughs> I I mean I'll, I'll watch it. Yeah, I guess. You know, <laughs> at, at least there's pl- at least there's something up for grabs. And and I mean they're unlucky there, right? Because going into the season, they would have looked at those games and said, "What an incredible schedule." They would have been like, "Packers and Rams. Wow. You know, those two yeah. teams that should be right involved." No, Packers, like, Dolphins and Broncos. No, no, Rams, but, I'm, but I I know, but I mean just as like the teams individually, not but you would have been like, "Okay, oh, okay no yeah, matter yeah. no matter what each of those games is delivering, a team that's probably winning their division, probably a, considered a Super Bowl contender. We've got star power and like Aaron Rodgers on Christmas Day. And then you'd have been like, okay, Buccaneers. You get Tom Brady up against like one of the young pretenders in the NFL. Like, you know, his opposing quarterback is going to be a future superstar. Cardinals may be in the playoff hunt as well. Buccaneers definitely probably in their division, probably will have one of the best records. Like those are the conversations that would have gone on. And then in the end you get, several teams with no real playoff hopes, a pretty limp looking uh, Buccaneers team that, okay, might make the playoffs by default and a Cardinals team that just everything has gone wrong for them this season. And then I guess Sunday also had some pretty amazing finishes. The most amazing I think has to be the Raiders uh, with one of the, dumbest plays in in NFL history. I, 
I don't know many other. I, you can say the Sanchez butt fumble is one of the most you know iconic dumb plays, but that's not really all on Sanchez. <laughs> this is solely on. Uh, um, uh, now I can't think of his name. Who threw it? <laughs> Jacoby Myers. Yeah, sorry, Jacoby Myers. I, I, I don't know what he was thinking. No, and you got to be really unhappy if you're Mac Jones, because that gets thrown into your, you just getting trucked, just gets thrown into your highlight reel now, and it's really not your fault. Yeah, but like, like yeah. so. You have the expression getting thrown under the bus and Jacoby Myers literally threw Mac Jones under the bus there. And that's just going to be, if you're <laughs> him, that's so good though. It is. But if you're him, it's so disappointing because there's just like nothing he could have really done. It's just a perfect storm of putting him in a position to just be absolutely just run through. And, and, but yeah, if you're Jacoby Myers, I don't know. And again, from a Bill Belichick coach team, it's so surprising just because that doesn't seem like the thing they would do. Like you would have almost felt like they would have gone into that play just being like, we're just going to overtime. Like, let's not yeah. try anything. Let's not try anything. Like, this is stupid. The risk is high. It was like far higher than the reward. As it turned out, that was the case. Yeah. And I mean, maybe this is a little bit on Belichick, but I don't know why they run a play there. Unless you think, hey, let's just run a play, and if we score a touchdown, we score a touchdown. Because there's three seconds left. So they're clearly just trying to say, let's run out the clock with a run. But so many times, I don't think that's worth the risk of a fumble or, I mean, this, obviously, you never imagine this in a million years is going to be the outcome. But uh, with the amount of times you do see fumbles now in the NFL from running backs, and especially when the defense is going to say, hey, if they're going to run it, let's just go for the ball. You know, this is the last play. Let's just try and rip it out. I don't know why they were even kind of running a play. Even that seems very un-Belichick to me. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the rare instances where I'll agree with Bill Barnwell. I've not seen his comments on this particular game, but I do know he has long hated the meaningless, like, halfback draw that teams will run at, like, the end of a half or the end of a game. And I'm in total agreement with him. Like, I just don't understand you'll see teams do it time and time again. And I agree, like, you're, n you're not going to score an 80-yard touchdown on it. You're more likely to turn the ball over or just injure a player. You know, like, yeah. you blow out your running back's knee with, on a play that you didn't need to run. If you're going to try a Hail Mary or something, okay, go for it. But Yeah, I mean, know, if, if it's a pass, maybe, because, like, I think the other thing you can kind of maybe get lucky on a pass is that there's a def defensive penalty and then you get another play because yes. you can't end the game on a penalty. So maybe you get like a 15-yard pass interference and then you get one more shot. That, okay, maybe. But you're not getting a defensive penalty on on a run. I mean, what do you get no. defensive holding? One out of every 500 runs? You know, it's But also defensive, <laughs> defensive holding is not going to put you, you know, like on a play, you'd be like, okay, we get pass interference. We go 30, 40 yards downfield. Yeah. If they get an extra 15 yards there, it's not going to change anything, right? So, no. yeah, I, I'm. I don't get it. There's no real win. There's no upside to the strategy. It just seems all risk. Uh, but teams do it. You're going to watch every NFL team this weekend. There's going to be five seconds left in the half, and 
I bet you 60 to 70% of them will just run a meaningless play. Now, there is an argument Bill Belichick is a big fan, supposedly, of trying to skew the analysis of other teams. So he will intentionally run plays he wouldn't normally run in so that when they then run their analysis of like, what plays do the Patriots run in these situations? He's throwing other data into that. And he's on record for saying he does that pretty openly in like, you know, blowout situations or, you know, kind of parts of games where he's not worried about that, not getting the outcome he wants. But then I doubt that was the reason why he was doing this. <laughs> Maybe he was skewing it. So now people think that they're going to the try the lateral desperate, desperate play. laterals at all times. Yes. Maybe he'll start yes. the next game that way. Maybe that's just, they're going to start. <laughs> and I rugby. do agree with you. It was, it was unfortunate for Mac Jones, but Oh man, did that just look <laughs> so funny? I mean, <laughs> like getting stiff armed is one thing, but getting completely thrown to the ground from your face is another thing. Like he just he was standing up and just pushed his whole body to the ground from his face. It was so it's good. The, it's the way you would like do it to a little kid. Yeah. That's oh thing. yeah. It doesn't it's like it doesn't when Peyton look. Manning on on that SNL when he's playing exactly. with the the kids at the Y, that's kind of what it looked like. Chandler Jones was like in an SNL skit. Yeah, no, it's uh, seems somewhat unrealistic for, and it makes Mac Jones just look like this tiny man, which he obviously isn't. You know, you're talking about still a athletically gifted human being, but yeah, it's uh, you got to be a little bit annoyed if you're him that your teammates put you in that position. And I guess the real debate from that game was also, was it a touchdown or not in the first place to tie the game for the Raiders as to whether or not the foot was in bounds? Yeah. I think it's inconclusive, I would say, which means because of ruling on the field, it's just the way things... My gut tells me he wasn't in bounds, but... There's no absolutely conclusive video footage that shows that his toe is out when, you know, as he controls the ball. But it just felt like he probably wasn't. Yeah. And then I guess finishing up some of those, the later games, you had uh, the Chargers kind of coming from behind and, and winning that game and the end of regulation with another just beautiful Herbert on the run, 40 yard throw to set up the game winning field goal. Uh, and then you had the Bengals, who for a second made the Bucks look like they might be a decent team again, only to decide to play the second half and Tom Brady to have four turnovers and play another pretty horrific game <laughs> to, uh, to to make think, the Bucks lose again. <laughs> I think you've got that equation wrong. I think that was the Bucks in the second half decided to make the Bengals look like a decent team. Oh, that's what you think. You think it's yeah. not the team that is struggling to survive to win their division. <laughs> oh, the Bengals? Yeah, they are. They they probably win yeah. the division, but it's yeah. it's not certain yet. <laughs> yeah, the ten and four Bengals, the struggling team there. I, I guess when you put so, and then you did have Rodgers keep the Packers somewhat playoff hopes alive, but when you start looking at what this playoffs is shaping up to be do you feel that we're finally seeing the changing of the guard here with the patriots looking very unpatriot like 
especially with that. Maybe that play kind of makes it look worse than it is because that is just such an unbelichick like play, but likely not a very good team. Brady looking worse than his age at this point, and Rodgers maybe oh, come on. looking like his age. <laughs> come on, he doesn't look is, worse is, than his age. Is this is this finally the turning of the NFL? Where no. what we are so used to seeing for the past 15 years is done. No. No, I no. think. What, so what do you think still is still around? I mean, I don't think this season anything, but I think before Brady retires, I think he has another very good season in him. I think he's just on a team. He gets no – their offensive line is terrible. I don't think there's – I actually don't think Brady's that bad. I just think that that team itself is not good, and that's not a team that suits him in any way. But their offensive line is awful, and he doesn't want to get hit. He's 45 years old, so he's not going to, you know, like maybe when he's 25, he's trying to avoid, you know, doing a little bit of a better job standing in the pocket for a little bit longer. Nowadays, he just is happy to go to ground as soon as he senses any real pressure. But I I think he... Tom Brady's playing somewhere else next season. And look, I'm, I'm not ruling out the possibility Tom Brady's playing on the Patriots next season. The Patriots are pretty good. And then it feels like we're back to right back to where we started from. But no, I think Bill Belichick. I, I, will, I, yeah. I mean, I think Bill Belichick gets another good Patriots team before he retires. And Aaron Rodgers, I think, is the only one. He just doesn't seem interested in being that good anyway. Like, that's the difference for me between him and the other two. Like, I don't think Aaron Rodgers cares as much. I'm saying he doesn't obviously reach the levels that he has. He obviously cares and he puts in a lot of work. But I think at this, he's kind of more in cruise control in his career more than Belichick or Brady are. I mean, I I, I honestly don't know if Brady comes back next year. I think huh. I think you are a little overconfident here that Brady doesn't retire after this year. I'm 100% confident he does not retire. His last three games, his QBR is 39, 36, 37. That's probably bottom five in the entire NFL. Yeah, but, but he doesn't retire. I don't know. I don't think he's, I don't think he's playing in Tampa Bay next season. Now, do you say he, he doesn't retire because... Brady won't let himself go out like this. Is that why you think? I think there's probably an element there that he doesn't want to have this be the the final page in his NFL book. But I also think he, I don't think he's that bad. So I think in his mind, he'll be telling himself he could still win another Super Bowl if he's in the right situation. And Tampa Bay right now is not the right situation for him and won't be next season either. So he'll probably look around and see what potential landing spots he has. And, you know, is there a possibility there? Put it this way. I'm not saying that the Niners are going to sign Tom Brady, but if you're in a situation where you've got a quarterback recover, like Jimmy Garoppolo will be gone. If you've got a quarterback who will be recovering from a major injury, who you see as your star of the future, but probably might not even be ready for the start of next season yet. Is it inconceivable that you have Tom Brady playing in San Francisco next season? No. Do I think Tom Brady could win a Super Bowl 
Like, I think if you stuck this Tom Brady on this Niners team right now, I think they're Super Bowl favorites. So, but he needs protection. I think Purdy's better. I don't, but, you know, I think Purdy could win the Super Bowl because everything around him is good enough. But I don't think Purdy, I don't think Brock Purdy is going to be, in the, in the long run, I don't think Brock Purdy is going to be some great NFL starter. Or or Brady goes back to the Patriots. You hear those murmurs, you know, like I, Yikes. where there's smoke, there's fire, right? So that's the storybook ending. He goes back to the Patriots. He reunites with Bill Belichick. He shows that there's no long-term issues between him and Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft. Everybody's happy. You know, it's one big family yet again. Maybe that allows him to have a more long-term role with the Patriots. I know he's got the job lined up with Fox, but maybe in the future allows him to come back to the Patriots in some capacity. Like it just, everything makes sense if, if that is, if that's what happens. But no, I don't, I, I'll put it this way. If Tom Brady retires at the end of this season and stays retired, Sam can come back on the podcast and replace me. Oh, wow. I love that you put out there something that I don't really want to happen. (laughs) (laughs) And the listeners don't either. And I also don't want Brady to come back either because I'm tired of seeing his old face. (laughs) So this is a lose-lose situation. Either I see Brady's old face or Sam's old face. (laughs) (laughs) You got to decide which one of those you want to see the least. Just to note, currently Tom Brady sits 22nd in the NFL ranked for QBR just above Ryan Tannehill and Kenny Pickett. So (laughs) it's not all about QBR, right? Give me the top five in QPR. Mahomes, Tua, Josh Allen, uh, Jalen Hurts, and Geno Smith. Well, four out of those five are pretty legit. (laughs) Yeah, but one of them isn't. Well, I mean, Geno Smith actually isn't playing terrible, so. No, he isn't, but he's not a top five quarterback in the NFL. I don't even think Jalen Hurts is, to be honest with you. I think that's a, like that's another, he's in a great, and I'm not knocking Jalen Hurts, he's in a great situation in terms of the team around him and the weapons he has and everything. Like, I think that's. Again, Front runner for MVP. Don't think he's a good yeah. QA. No, I don't. I didn't say he wasn't a good QB. Good QB. I don't think he's a top five quarterback in the NFL. I think there's at least five teams. If you just did trade, straight swap, Eagles call them up. We'll give you Jalen Hurts. We want your quarterback. More than five teams say no to that. Kansas City says no. Buffalo says no. Cincinnati says no. Uh, nice to start thinking about age related because there's some other factors there. Uh, San Diego says no. I'm, I, 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 I think this is a pretty bold argument. Not only is he having gr- a great year statistically throwing the ball, but I mean, he's also run for like 750 yards with, I think, what, like 12 TDs even running. No, I'm not, I'm not saying he's bad. And I'm not saying he's having, he, He's going to deserve to win the MVP, although so much of the MVP award is because his team is good. 
Like it's because the Eagles are going to finish 16 and one. He obviously plays an integral role within that, but he's not the only reason why the Eagles are 16 and one, right? Like they are a good team across the board. They are one of the most well-rounded teams in the NFL. So is that a quarter? Is that a player specific? Like, again, it gets into the debate of like, who is the MVP? To me, Patrick Mahomes is the MVP of the NFL because the drop off from Patrick Mahomes to any other quarterback playing in Kansas City would be monumental. Jalen Hurts on the Kansas City Chiefs, I don't think they make the playoffs. I mean, that's, you can say that because there's no way I can argue against that. What am I supposed to say? Actually, I went into an alternate universe where this did happen. And guess it what? Exists. He went 17 and 0 with the Chiefs. Well, so you are wrong. Universe, if you, you know, according to, according to physicists, that alternate universe exists somewhere. So you just need to dedicate yourself to science and you'd be able to find the argument to prove me wrong or prove me right. But I mean, I just think, do you think, do you think that the, what do you think the, the Chiefs record is with Jalen Hurts at quarterback this season? I, mean, I think they're pretty close to what they are. I, I I agree with you. I think Mahomes is a better QB than Hurts, but I think Hurts is right now a, a definitely a top five quarterback in the NFL this season. I, I don't know what right now means. Like this year, like I'm not like if you were to take the last three years together, then yes, he's not a top five QB because I think he's still growing as a quarterback. He's very but young. He's just we'll see, finally we're settling just... in. We're discussing two different things then. You're discussing which quarterbacks I'm saying have had... this year. Okay, but then what you're saying is which five quarterbacks have had the best seasons. I'm saying which five quarterbacks best are season. the best. Season, yeah, I'm saying which five quarterbacks are the best. Those are not the same thing at all. Because Geno Smith then is a top five quarterback. He is having one of the best... I, you could argue, actually, Geno Smith is having the best season of any quarterback in the NFL right now, given everything that's, that's around him. Like, Geno Smith is having a much better year than Jalen Hurts because Geno Smith is in a worse situation. But then I don't think Geno Smith is a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts. So then if I go, who's the better quarterback? Who's having the better – who's the better quarterback this year? Geno Smith. I don't know. Like – we are we are kind of talking about two different things, but the same like. Okay, so what? Who are your top five best QBs this year? Like right now, now you have to say this year, but like right now. Oh well, then that's the discussion I'm having. Yeah, you're focusing on. So this who are your year. top five? Mahomes, number one. Uh, Josh Allen, number two. Uh, now it gets tricky to like separate where all the uh, Joe Burrow number three probably it gets tough for me after that it's hard to separate them yeah because Jalen Hurts would be number four he wouldn't be though <laughs> no because no, <laughs> no, like Justin Herbert's above Jalen Hurts for me like, that's not close for I Right now, you had the same list as me, except next would be Herbert and then Hertz. And then like, Tua would be sixth. Yeah. Tua's not had a great couple of weeks since I complimented him. So, nope. Uh, no, he has not, Teddy. <laughs> um, since you said he was the best QB of the, that generation, he has fallen off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> 
But you know who else has picked it up since you also disrespected him? Trevor Lawrence. He's quickly rising that to that list. <laughs> like for Does example, Trevor Lawrence make your top ten? Um, oh, probably. But then there's some players I'm really low on, right? Like Dak Prescott. I'm not a huge Dak Prescott fan. He's having a bad run of things as well, but I'm not a huge Dak Prescott fan. Like I think Dak Prescott is a slightly above average NFL quarterback who's tended to be in, on really good teams. Like to me, like yeah, Jalen Hurts is headed in the Dak Prescott situation direction. Or like five, six years from now, you'd be like, oh, remember when the Eagles were really good and so Jalen Hurts was really good? But no, I, for example, I don't think Trevor Lawrence, the Jags call the Eagles tomorrow. Straight swap Trevor Lawrence for Jalen Hurts. The Eagles say yes. The Jags. <laughs> they um, do not. No, they say they yes. They do not. I think they say yes. No they don't. Way. They don't in the context of this season being like, they are they're on a one they're not going to change things mid-season like i'm not saying like tomorrow they want to switch quarterbacks but end of this year they they would have they make that switch for sure jalen hurts is fine like put it this way jalen hurts and justin fields swap places the eagles are oh i would much much rather take hurts on that one Eagles have the same record. I think Fields, I think Fields is a running back. I think next year you draft a QB and just move Fields to running back. Eagles have the same record with Justin Fields at quarterback. No, no way. You have not watched Fields enough then, because his throws can be some of the most inaccurate throws I have ever seen. Yeah, but you know what would help then? Having maybe the best offensive line in the NFL having incredible weapons around him to throw to. That might help versus being on the Bears. Like, I think sometimes we overlook with quarterback play the impact everything else around them has on how good they look. How easy is it or how much easier is it to be Jalen Hurts performing really well when you've got an extra second, second second and a half than, say, Tom Brady has in Tampa Bay? To have the confidence to know when the ball gets snapped to you, that you're probably not going to immediately feel pressure. That you can trust your left tackle and your right tackle. You don't have to worry about some massive blindside hit. Like that, I think, makes your job a lot easier. I don't know. I just think there's a lot of quarterbacks you could swap places with Jalen Hurts, and the Eagles are as good, if not better. Whereas, and again, this is that's not what the MVP award is for. But sometimes it now feels like like Jalen Hurts is going to get the MVP. It's like a team MVP award almost for the Eagles this year. Yeah, I think I'm okay with Hurts getting the MVP, but the Mahomes fan in me really wants to see Mahomes win it because he's going to go through this three, four-year window of clearly being the best QB in the NFL and have one MVP to show for it which is unfortunate because, I mean, you could make a case he should have won it every year. But you have these kind of anomaly years of different players that are kind of stealing it away from him. Oh, so now Jalen Hurts is an anomaly? As of now he is. I mean, he's this has come out of nowhere, right? (laughs) Well, it hasn't come out of nowhere. The Eagles were pretty good last season. 
I, I think, yeah, as I said, I think he deserves to win it, but it does feel like a team team reward. And, and, and that's hard to not do in the NFL. Because if not, you would be giving the award to like some quarterback who missed the playoffs, but has, you know, 6,000 passing yards because like what an incredible statistical season. Like, so if you're not factoring in team performance, you know, but for example, like on the way people are speaking about Jalen Hurts and the Eagles and tying his MVP candidacy to their record, it's basically saying if in the future you had, I don't know, say Heineke's performance this season, but the commanders, like the team's just a juggernaut elsewhere, like best defense, and the Washington commanders are going to go undefeated. That makes Heineke the MVP. You know, like... This is the weird part to me where it's like, well, you know that the play from someone else is probably better, but because the team themselves, like maybe their defense is better, their offensive line is better. Hey, man, then just the coaching is better. Whatever other factors there are in there that's swinging things in their direction, because of all those things, you're having to, you know, you're saying like, no, 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 that individual player deserves an award. That, that's the bit. I think Jalen Hurts deserves it. Although it's going to be interesting, right? If he doesn't play this weekend, which it looks like he might not play, the Eagles lose, and the Chiefs win the remainder of their games, it could swing back in Mahomes' favor. Or, maybe according to your theory, if the Eagles win dominantly <laughs> without Jalen Hurts. <laughs> which they might. And then maybe... Yeah, Who's I agree with up? you, though. I, th- I think it's uh, what's his it name? Minshew? Yeah, then maybe Minshew's MVP. <laughs> Less, you know, like if, if, if Jalen Hurts doesn't come back this season, like in the regular season for, you know, maybe they shut him down and go like, let's save you for the playoffs. And it's like, well, last starting quarterback of the regular season on that team gets the MVP. Yeah, I agree with you, though. I think this could be beneficial for Mahomes. If Mahomes plays well these last few games, to solidify them for the number one seed. Yeah, it, it could be good. We'll see. Mahomes is now heavy favorite to win the MVP. Betting on Really? Because the week before, Hertz was favorite. Yeah, he's now one. Mahomes is one to three. Wow. I guess Jaylen, people are thinking because of Hertz missing one missing game. <laughs> yeah. And Jalen Hertz is four to one. So yeah, I think that is legitimately wow. what we're talking about. Because you're right. I mean, Jalen Hurts was the odds-on favorite going into last week, and he didn't yeah. do anything to hurt his cause yeah. in that game. So, and Mahomes no. didn't do anything in particular to help his cause in a unimpressive victory against the Texans. It's not like wow, now we have to. I mean, he played see. well, but you know, like they just beat the Texans. <laughs> I wouldn't. Yeah, I said he didn't play badly. Like if Mahomes yeah. plays well, they're not going to overtime against the Texans. Like, yeah. but yet to, yeah. So, yeah, I think that is just people assuming Mahomes, like Eagles hurts, misses one game and that heavily influences the MVP 
voting, or maybe he misses multiple games. I guess if you think he's going to miss more than one, then it makes sense. Because if he misses two games, he's probably out of contention. Josh Allen's third yeah. favorite. He, I feel like Josh Allen's got no chance. I don't know. One white universe, Josh Allen's winning MVP. <laughs> no, but seriously, like what's, what's the argument for Josh Allen? Joe Burrow's fourth favorite. I think you can make a much stronger argument for Joe Burrow being MVP than Josh Allen. How many snow games has Joe Burrow won? I don't know. It's a statistic we'll, we'll never know. We might see one this week because I think in Cincinnati it's supposed to be minus five degrees for this weekend's game. <laughs> there we go. That's his MVP. That's, it all rides on that then. Yeah. Anything else, uh, either from the sporting world or non-sporting world, you wanted to discuss? I saw the preview for Oppenheimer came out, Eddie. And we often, for some reason, discuss Christopher Nolan movies on here. <laughs> Have you seen it? And are you interested in seeing it? I've seen the trailer. Um, yeah, I'm interested. It kind of falls into the type of movie I like. I like the historical dramas. Like, I, as I've been on record saying, it annoys me when they just needlessly then alter the actual history. But... Yeah, I think it's a, an interesting story for sure. Yeah, and a really good cast too. So I'm I'm very excited to see it. I love anytime there's a, a good science movie out there. <laughs> yeah, and a story that probably deserves more attention. Uh, so, you know, in that respect, it's uh, it's one. Did you see Imitation to... Game? Yes, wasn't a huge fan. Did you enjoy that one? No. Didn't like it. No, not so much. There was another one too, wasn't there? Another one? There what were two it? movies about it. I'm pretty about sure. The, the code breaking. Yeah. I don't know. The other one was the name. I think the other one was the name of the place. Was it Bleecker Park? Uh, Bletchley Park. Bletchley Park. Yeah. Could I be. Think that was the name of the other one. Yeah. No, I mean, I yeah, liked I'm imitation. For- I thought it was okay. And, and I mean, yeah, Nolan movies, you know that they're going to deliver in terms of the overall production value and just how it looks and stuff. So, you know, it's going to not disappoint in that respect. So, yeah, it's definitely a movie that I'll, I don't know, I'm going to choose which movie is the first one to draw me back into the movie theater. I have not been to a movie in a theater since before the pandemic. So, wow, which movie will get the honor of having me attend in person, basically. I think it's going to be Black Panther 2. Definitely. Or Avatar 2. Avatar 2, you could convince me more. Really? Well, because I feel at least with the Avatar movies, they feel like something you need to see in a movie theater. But are you willing to do 3D? Mm, if I feel like there's, it's justified, sure. Not if it's just... When, not like when you go to those movies and it's like, I don't know, Harry Potter in 3D. And it's just so that every once in a while it looks no. like a, you know, like something just pops kind of out at you. If it's a full immersive 3D experience, then I'm on board. Which I think this one is. I think it's, I think it was made for 3D. 
Oh, I'm sure. And look, they've not taken... like the occasional spider bounces out at you. <laughs> no. Yeah, that that I don't need. That that does not change my enjoyment of a movie. But yeah, no, I'm I'm fine. Avatar two. Yeah, I can that can that might be one I see in a movie theater. But we'll see. In the I next... just, it's it's long and it just I don't know if it really interests me enough. It doesn't really interest me at all. But I do respect like time and effort put into making it. So then also part of me feels like like as someone who is openly critical of the only sort of blockbuster action movies that get made just being comic book, like rinse and repeat Marvel, DC, whatever. I almost feel like if I'm going to take that position, I need to put my money where my mouth is and go and see avatar because at least that's someone completely original story. Exactly. And who's like spent years trying to shape like, yes, that kind of blockbuster style movie, but has made it themselves. So part of me almost feels like I'd almost be a hypocrite if I don't go and see it. So now I'll have to, now that I've made that argument. I think I will watch the new Knives Out movie probably this week because I think that should be on Netflix now. I only watched the first one last week. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Yeah, Where I, were you <laughs> for three years? <laughs> yeah, just not, not watching Knives Out. It's it's enjoy. I like I like murder mystery type of movies, and a lot of times they are done pretty poorly when they tried to redo all those ones like Death Death on the Nile and all those. But these ones are fun. You know, yeah, I, enjoy I mean Daniel Craig. They did a good job of capturing the kind of style of the old fashioned murder mystery. You know, like they yeah. and having the right amount of humor mixed in with it was yeah it was it was good. I don't know if it warrants a second one, I will say, but it was it was good. And a third one. Well, I'll, I'll reserve judgment on whether it warrants a third one until I've seen the second one, which I'll probably watch <laughs> in three or four years. <laughs> oh, is that what you're going to do? You're going to wait till the next one comes out to watch the, the previous one? Yeah, that's how I'm going to that's going to be my knives out approach. The only other thing I've I well I watched we watched all of Wednesday, um, which it was okay. It's it's like an adolescent teen show, so um, yeah, I've, it I had some put, moments. I kind of put that into like the Riverdale category. It is. Of, it's pretty much exactly what it is. Of like, I get it. It's supposed to touch on some some kind of nostalgia for me, but it's not made for me, which feels weird. Like I don't know. I guess that's what I feel weird about those shows is like, in a sense, almost who are they made for? Like, I guess the ideal situation is like if you're a parent and you have a teenager maybe, and you can watch it together yep. and you're like scratching. So both of you are getting like something out of it. But aside from that, it feels a little strange. Yeah. And I think that's the problem with those shows in general is I also don't think they know who they're making it for because at times Wednesday was, I thought was entertaining and then there were other times where I was like, this is some of the dumbest shit I've ever watched in my life. Like, am I supposed to be five years old when I'm watching this? Like, it's clearly, this is clearly what's happening. Why are they trying to pretend it's not? You know, and then all of a sudden it kind of just gets like supernatural out of nowhere too. So it's like, is this like a sci-fi show or is this supposed to be kind of real? Like, I don't know what's going on here. Um, 
But do you think? Okay. A, did you think if um, a TV show based on the Adams Family universe was going to be realistic? No, but if you've watched the show, the last like two episodes just go like off the rails <laughs> with some of the shit. <laughs> I won't spoil it, but uh, it gets it gets kind of strange. <laughs> And I just started Slow Horses, season two, which I'm excited for. I'm not a fan. That one. I don't know how you can't be a fan. Gary Oldman, he's a treasure. (laughs) I think Gary Oldman's a good actor, but the TV show requires more than me going, that guy's a pretty good actor. I found it, yeah. And it's the type of show that normally would be the thing I would like, but yeah, I just couldn't get into it. Right up your alley. Couldn't get into it. Kind of like a, a bureaucratic spy thriller, slow-paced, dialogue-heavy. <laughs> yeah, I just couldn't get into it. But yeah, I do. I mean, normally spy stuff I, I love, but yeah, and that just just wasn't. If I compare it, like Especially I don't know, English spy, the pinnacle of spy TV shows in recent years been the Americans, I guess. Whereas this yeah. was this was just like, yeah. It's okay, but I'm not desperate enough to watch something to watch this. Well, maybe give it another shot, Eddie. Probably won't. Okay. <laughs> All right. On that note, should we wrap things up for the for the holidays? Yeah. Do you want Do you want to throw it out to the world what you most want for Christmas? So maybe you can get it. Oh boy. Um. Blackburn getting promoted this season. Can I have that as a Christmas present? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. We'll have to wait and see if that holds true. Yeah, that's it will a... be a late Christmas present. <laughs> yeah, early birthday present for me. I've gotten lost in the mail a few times. Yeah. <laughs> that's fine. That happens sometimes. Sometimes those are the best ones. Yep. And what do you want most right. for Christmas then? Just peace for all, Eddie. Oh, God. <laughs> I know it's not true. <laughs> this is the only reason. Uh, I would like a pair of hiking socks that I was given last year that didn't fit, that then were told that I would get returned for the proper size, but never got them. So I'm hoping to get the socks that I was promised last year and taken back. I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. That is an exciting hopefully present. Hopefully that's not too hard of an ask. I mean, it's, it sounds like a huge one, but hope, hopefully you get the socks you want. Thank you. All right. I'll talk to you later. See you. Cheerio.